Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in our Candyman movie review series. Today we are reviewing Candyman. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm out. And we are back. We did not have to wait as long as audiences did. Audiences who picked up the third one on VHS when it came out all the way back in July 9th, 1999. They had to wait 22 years, one month, and 18 days. That is a really long time to wait for a sequel. Now, not the longest time. I've actually created a list of uh, the longest sequels, like the longest between movies. I'll, I'll actually attach that below, just, just for curiosity's sake. Uh, that was a fun list to make. But, you know, we've got Universal Pictures behind this one. I would say the only legitimate, really, distributor that I can really think of was TriStar Pictures for the first one, but Universal is definitely a big one. We have our first female director, Nia DaCosta. Well, honestly, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's interesting because... Candyman, the original film and other things has, you know, kind of dealt with race relations, black culture, all kinds of different things like that. Right. But it's always been done um, by British people. And now we actually have, you know, black director, black writer. I'm very interested to see, you know, discuss through this review, you know, what perspective they're bringing to that. And Jordan Peele, that's we've been saying it. We've been teasing it. Jordan Peele is, he co-wrote this film. He didn't direct like he originally was slated to do. He handed that off to Nia DaCosta, but he is co-writing this one. So I'm very, I've been very intrigued with this one for a long time. But before we get too far into the review, make sure to check the description below. We have a curated list of other podcasts we think you'd like to listen to afterwards. Timestamps, if you're ready to jump ahead. We have all of our links we have a ton of great stuff down there as well. You don't want to miss out on everything in the description below, so make sure to check that out. And while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a short written review. That is a great free way to support us, and that really helps us out. Well, Corbin, were you like me and tried to stay away from all the trailers of this um, before we went to review it? Or were you too curious and caught a trailer or two of this movie because Jordan Peele's got his name on it. So I did actually catch a trailer or two um, when this was originally supposed to release of June last year. A couple months before that, they did drop the trailer. I watched it. Hadn't seen any Candyman movie by that point, but I was very intrigued by that first trailer, actually. And I was, well, I was thinking it was going to be Jordan Peele's third film. It, it wasn't. Um, but I was intrigued by that first trailer. And then I did see a trailer or two in the theater. Tried to not like look into it too much. But I definitely knew based off of that first trailer I saw a year ago, I was definitely curious to see this movie. Yeah, I'm, I stayed away from all the trailers like I mentioned, which uh, I'm kind of glad that, that I did because... Yeah, some of these trailers do show a bit, um, 
some they of do. actually the majority of all the trailers I don't think would necessarily get me super interested. Um, but of course, because Jordan Peele's name on it, I probably would have watched it at some point. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, had I seen only the one with the um, the paper cutouts, the shadow puppets, had that been the only trailer that I watched, I would have been in. Oh man, that's oh. that gets mm. me really curious about this movie. Seeing that, and I think it's like considered a short film um, or whatever. But seeing that. Mm -hmm. Oh man, you got me interested. I'm in. Once I see that, I'm in. Yeah, I will say I did go back and I rewatched the trailers they had put out after the first one. I, I think the trailers are a mixed bag for me in general because, you know, for everything that kind of gets me hyped, I think other trailers are really trying too hard. I did see a trailer in the theater and I just thought it looked incredible. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And then I saw another trailer after I watched the movie. I went back and watched them. And I really wasn't very intrigued with it. And there definitely is some spoilers in here. And some of the, um, don't want to spoil much here, but you have seen some final sequences of the movie or some final dialogue of the movie they put in the trailer. And I never like it when they do that. So uh, if I hadn't saw that first trailer and I just saw these other ones, and I didn't know anything about this and we weren't reviewing it and I didn't know it was Jordan Peele, I probably wouldn't be checking this one out. I probably would get it at Redbox is, is my guess. Gotcha. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Candyman yet, I don't blame you. It just came out a little over a week ago. That's why we are doing it a week after it's already been released to make sure you know, people had time to go to the theaters, go and check it out. As we said in our guide to Candyman, it's theatrical only. So you do have to go check this one out at the theater. But I guess if you don't want to go see the movie and you want to know all the spoilers, we're about to spoil it <laughs> right now. So listen at your uh, at your own discretion because we're about to get into the plot. We're about to talk about the film. You've been warned spoilers are up ahead. Aspiring artist Anthony McCoy lives with his girlfriend, Brianna Cartwright, in Chicago. One night, Brianna's brother shares the legend of Candyman and Helen, which sparks Anthony's curiosity. He later meets William Burke, who tells him the story of his childhood related to the Candyman legend. A local man named Sherman was beaten by cops who thought he was responsible for putting razor blades in candy. However, Sherman ended up being innocent. With this inspiration, Anthony makes an art exhibit based around the legend of the Candyman, but fails to gain any positive reaction. Later that night, the owner of the art gallery and his girlfriend are brutally killed by Candyman after they summon him, leaving Brianna to find them in the morning. Anthony later visits a critic who is at the art gallery to discuss his exhibit. When she heads into the bathroom, Candyman shows up to Anthony in the reflection of the mirror. After Anthony leaves, the lady is brutally killed in her apartment from Candyman. Due to his growing obsession, Brianna leaves Anthony. Later, a group of high school students summon Candyman in the school's bathroom, and they are all brutally murdered. Anthony visits his mother, who reveals to him that he was the kid in the legend who was taken. Brianna heads to the laundromat and is kidnapped by William and taken to Cabrini Green to witness Anthony's transformation. William saws off Anthony's hand and replaces it with a hook to complete his conversion. Brianna escapes and tries to hide in the houses of the abandoned neighborhood. William approaches her and she kills him. The police show up, shoot Anthony, and arrest Brianna. In the back of the police cruiser, she's given the option to cooperate with him in saying that Anthony had provoked the police to shoot him. She asks to see herself in the rearview mirror before giving them an answer and summons Candyman. Anthony shows up and massacres the police on site, telling Brianna to tell everybody. The end.
Well, one of the things I'm immediately struck by is these opening credits. Mm -hmm. This movie will mirror the very first Candyman in a lot of ways, as we'll talk about the Bernard Rose film. The opening credits are one of them. I got to say, I love the opening credits. I love the opening score. Um, it's not Philip Glass returning to do this score. We do get to hear his score th during the closing credits, but the opening credits is downtown Chicago. And you even took some pictures of Chicago and said Austin. these were in the opening credits of Candyman. And I recognize that. And they're all inverted at a weird angle. And they're kind of like shooting into the fog with the music. I'm pulled in. I'm, I'm actually very excited just with the credits. Yeah, I was... At first, I was thinking maybe there's something wrong with the projector when uh, the company, like the production I company logos came up and they were mirrored. I was like, you're like, crap, something wrong with the <laughs> Yeah, I was like, is something something wrong? <laughs> I figured out pretty quick that that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, and I'm with you, Corbin. Once those opening credits come up and we have the uh, the shots of the skyscrapers in Chicago uh, upside down um, into the fog. Oh man, I'm in. This is, the tone is set really quick. And it's something that I find mm -hmm. to be very, very interesting. So I'm pulled in, since we're on the same page here, we were pulled in pretty quick to how this movie opens because it's a visual feast, I would say. It's interesting because it has, it feels like it's a Jordan oh, yeah. Peele-like aesthetic, um, but mm -hmm. it's dealing with, you know, a cult-like movie, uh, that of Candyman. So I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this is going to go. Uh, this, these opening credits are very interesting. And they really pull me in. So I'm with you. Yeah, those are the main credits. I forgot about the other credits where everything is mirrored. And I thought the projector was broken too. And I was going to be, I'm like, I'm not watching this movie mirrored. I'm not going to do it. I'm right. going to go tell someone. Right. But they do actually play the song from the Willy Wonka film, mm -hmm. Candyman. I was a little surprised by that. I wasn't crazy about that choice. It felt a little too, uh, I don't know, on the nose for me. It wasn't a big deal, but it was a little strange. I mean, did that take you off guard? Did you recognize that song from Willy Wonka? I did. It's been a number of years since I've seen Willy Wonka, but I did recognize <laughs> it. Yeah. It didn't bother me, though. That's honestly going to be probably my biggest compliment of the film, though, is the cinematography. Mm -hmm. I think the cinematography in this film is incredible. You know, I feel like most shots are set up almost like a painting. There is somewhat of a two-dimensional aspect to them, but there is a lot of depth. And a lot of times we will start with really wide shots, and there'll be this really slow zoom in. Um it's kind of made me think of Rosemary's Baby in some ways. Um, this cinematography is of an age of a horror film that I haven't seen in quite a while. This seems to be more so drawn from the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. and I'm very impressed by that. So, honestly, technical aspects go, I really don't have much complaints as far as the technical achievements in this film. I could even see the cinematography maybe getting nominated for an Oscar. I thought it was so well done. Yeah, I, I do also agree. I could definitely see, uh, I, I could definitely see getting an Oscar. And I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be sad about that. Um, whether or not the Academy will nominate it is a different story, um, because they usually don't go for horror movies like this. Not all, not all the time, but we'll we'll see. All right. But I'm with you. This is a very good looking movie. Uh, I would love to see Nia DaCosta's other film. Um, a little, hang on, I got it up here. Little Woods. Um, I've mm -hmm. heard that one's pretty good too. So I'm, I'm curious about it. 
if this one looks good, uh, I'm wondering if the same if maybe the same thing is true for Little Woods. That aside, uh, yeah, you're right. This is a very good looking movie, and I would love to go back and watch it again because there are times where you can, if you if you look closely, you can see Candyman like in the reflection of a mirror, right? But it doesn't like linger oh, yeah. on it. It never uh, like oh now the audience sees it, right? It just is kind of there. And then they cut away. And if you didn't see it, then you missed it, right? So I wonder, I would love to see, you know, in what scenes or what what I missed of seeing Candyman in the reflection because uh, they deliberately try not to draw too much attention to it. And same kind of this uh, kind of connects to the cinematography. It really kind of puts you on edge because... Again, you never really know what's going to happen next. They do play a lot with the visual design of this film, mm -hmm. especially the visual design of Chicago. You probably know the building names better than I do. There's those very famous um, circular buildings kind of with all those windows. Yep. They're right next to each other. Um, when I see Chicago, I think of those buildings or when I see those buildings, I think of Chicago. That's a very um, unique kind of set piece in the movie. That's where... The art critic lives when Anthony goes to kind of discuss with her all of a sudden now. She's very intrigued by him. She's just kind of a freeloader writing off of his new success or his new infamy, I guess, because of the, the painting. Right. But I love kind of that whole scene um, when Anthony is walking down the hallway and it's just like this never ending circle until he gets to where he needs to go. And then he goes into um, the hallway and that's when he really sees um, Candyman's reflection in the mirror and it's mirrored with him showing that he is kind of tied to Candyman in a way he's not sure of. Um, just the setup shot of, of that hallway, of that scene. I, I gotta say, Alan, this movie doesn't look like a 2020 movie. This looks like they could have shot this in like the 70s or 80s. It's bringing back an aesthetic that I just haven't seen in such a long time. And then when the camera ultimately pulls out after Anthony leaves the apartment, and there's all these different windows that we see of different apartments, almost like a beehive. There's all these little pockets until mm -hmm. um, her body just rises up and then she is murdered and strewn across the apartment. And you almost don't even catch it because there's just so many other things going on. And I just... That whole sequence is fantastic visually for just a number of reasons. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. That one stuck out to me as well. Just from him seeing, yeah, he's like came in his reflection uh, to mm -hmm. when it's pulling out, and it's you just hear the sounds of the city and that lady being brutally murdered in her apartment as it slowly <laughs> pulls out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. This is this. I feel like there are a few horror movies that are rather unique. In an aspect like this, um, right now, my mind immediately goes to, uh, what's his name? Ari Aster. I, I got a lot of Ari Aster vibes oh, yeah. off of yeah. this movie with like Midsummer or Hereditary mm -hmm. um, because of just that sense of dread, uh, the brutal violence, that kind of a thing. And the tone all feel like it's almost like a homage to Ari Aster almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm with you. There are a lot of creative sequences in this, especially that one in the critics' apartment um, that are surprising and are really well done. Yeah, this film does a great job of building atmosphere mm -hmm. because I went to go see this movie with my dad. My dad does not like horror movies, but he does love 
Hitchcockian type thrillers type mysteries, just very macabre movies. We enjoy watching those together. So that was one of the things that he noted after he saw the movie was this movie was very macabre. It was very unsettling throughout the whole thing. You never quite felt at ease and you just never knew, you know, what was going to happen, what when Candyman was going to pop up. So they do create a pretty good atmosphere um, throughout this movie. One of the things I'm really actually eager to talk about is how they deal with Candyman in this movie. I was honestly shocked. I wasn't expecting this whatsoever. Candyman for the large portion of the film is actually not played by Tony Todd. Mm -hmm. It's played by a new actor and it's not even the same Candyman. Um, it's a different guy um, who Alan talked about in the plot. So they bring up this idea that Candyman really isn't just one person. There is kind of this legacy. And when you see Anthony revived as Candyman in the end, and you see all the different reflections in the glass, I thought, okay, this is a very fascinating idea. Having kind of multiple Candymans through the ages, that it's just kind of this, I don't know what you want to say, plague, this kind of haunting of... I guess you could call it racial injustice throughout the ages of America and different times. Right. Regardless of that, having different Candymans and having this one be a Candyman, I have a theory as to why this isn't Tony Todd. We can talk about that in a minute, but I want to know what you thought of that, Alan, because that, that surprised me. Yeah, I at first I was thinking, oh, they're going to like retcon the uh, the the legend of Candyman in this movie. Um and they don't really do that. They it kind of feels like they're going to do that at the beginning when um, Brianna's brother is telling, you know, the scary story or whatever. Uh, but I honestly, I was really excited to see, you know, what different they were going to do with Candyman. And I don't think I was necessarily let down by that because mm -hmm. they do take a little bit of a different approach to Candyman where Sherman is... He's kind of like, you know, he's the Candyman of the story because that's the legend yeah. that uh, is made, I guess, the most known in the story because of what happened to William, because of what ha uh, Anthony learns. He's played by Sherman. And so it makes sense that they would keep him as, I guess, the main face of Candyman. But like you said, at the very end, the legend of Candyman just kind of hops from person to person, um, it seems like. And we'll get into that in a, little, in a little bit as to the thematic element of it. But I gotta say, I, I kind of like that idea that, you know, it's it uh, it's a legend, so it never technically ends, and they just keep attributing this Candyman to people who, uh, to more things as more horrible events happen. They attribute, they attribute Candyman to that. I think it's an interesting idea, and I'm glad that they went down a different route of Candyman than what we've seen in the movie's past, because... They didn't really do a whole lot in those later sequels. So I'm I'm glad to see something different here. Yeah, and I was questioning, you know, the first film takes place, you know, when the whenever the movie came out in the mid-90s, early 90s. Whereas this film opens up in 1977 in Cabrini Green. And the character Sherman, who is murdered before Helen Lyle ever goes to Cabrini Green. Mm -hmm. She never learns about that. Um, they actually, I thought it was fascinating um, when Anthony goes to the University of Chicago or whatever it is, he gets Helen Lyle's tapes 
And um, Virginia Madsen actually came back to do the voiceover for those tapes to record those that audio we hear. Because I'm like, I don't remember hearing her talk about that in the first movie. And that's new audio that is placed into that. Uh, I thought that was interesting. But mm-hmm. I think here's my theory as to why it's not the Tony Todd Candyman is because, as you said, Burke tells Anthony... This is the Candyman that I learned about. So when people are summoning him, they're summoning this Sherman Candyman, not the Tony Todd Candyman, because nobody's ever heard of that. And when his girlfriend, I don't know if she's his girlfriend or his wife. I'm not sure that's ever clearly established. Um, When she summons him at the very end, I did think that was pretty incredible how it was Anthony and now he is the new Candyman and there's just kind of a... All of them. So that's my theory is depending on which one you summon, depending on which legend is kind of more popular at the time, that's the Candyman that will come. Uh, Of course, there will always be the original one, but unique idea. I really appreciated they brought a new twist to that because clearly the second film was okay with its ideas. The third film had absolutely no ideas, new ideas to offer, but thankfully this one did. Right. No, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I gotta say, I really did like the acting in this movie as well. Yeah, I was surprised by um, Anthony. What's that actor's name? I don't know if I've ever actually seen... Oh, no, I, I take it back. I, I do know him. I have seen him. He was in Us. He was in... Well, he was in The Greatest Showman. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. What about that? So he's been in a number of... Oh, wow. He's been in a number of things. I've seen all um, those. Yeah. I guess I just never realized that. Forgot about that. I was surprised by his performance. Yeah. What did you think of the twist that he is baby Anthony? I thought that was very interesting how they tied that back around. First of all, um, the lady that plays his mom, I mean, that's the same lady, um, Vanessa Williams from the first film. She does not look old enough to be his mom (laughs) at all. But um, yeah, I thought that was a very unique twist. That was... Um, the child that he took, I feel like that gave a little bit more context to a plot point that never quite made sense in the first film. So now it's clear there's this um, kind of dark, what do you, we've always kind of equivalated Candyman to Christianity. Um, what, this is kind of the son, this is the prodigal son returning to fulfill his destiny and be the new, right. the next Candyman? Very interesting. Right. No, I, I honestly, I... I think I ended up enjoying that twist because it feels kind of right that they would go down this route following the son that was in that first one. I mean, it makes sense that they would do that, right? So, but yeah, I, I do like the idea that, you know, it's the son now, like kind of like you said, it's more of a, maybe a prodigal son kind of deal. The son that was in that original one is coming back. Uh, and even though before he was taken by Candyman and then was brought back, uh, this time he becomes Candyman. Uh, Seems kind of interesting that they would go down that route, but I like that idea. I like that idea that uh, it's that same kid from that first movie that's coming back, and he's the main character now. Do you have any more positives? Oh yeah, um, the flashback, like paper uh, shadow puppet sequences. Oh yeah, those are probably my favorite aspects of this whole movie. At least in terms of oh. visuals, uh, I mm-hmm. really liked them. Uh, I think that I don't. I know it's been done before, like, you know, doing a flashback and it's like an animated thing or a puppet thing or whatever. They kind of feel like uh, characters from uh, Corpus Bride 
uh, like design wise, oh, yeah. where they have really skinny legs and really skinny arms, and their bodies are a little bit, are a little bit bigger, and they move kind of weird. It's this really weird sense, but honestly, I really, really like them a lot. I want to see more of it. Kind of like how I mentioned uh, in the trailer talk when I watched that like short that Nita Costa had, I was in. Like I was that got that brought me in pretty quick watching something like that. So this is these are my favorite sequences. How they're flashbacks there, but they wanted to do it in you know shadow puppet kind of style with paper. It does instill a weird feeling how these you know paper cutout characters, especially how they emote. When Candyman's getting his arm sawed off or something and he's like kind of crying out in, in anguish. It's, it, it does give you a weird feeling. It does play into that macabre uh, feeling and the kind of that story time feeling, but in a very kind of dark fairy tale sort of way. Right. Um, yeah. And I was surprised they re retold that story. I was very appreciative. They retold actually the story of the first film with um, Helen's character. But um, they told it from the public's point of view, not from the actual truthful point of view, which we saw how the public believed that she was actually the murderer and was actually the psycho and whatnot. And they told it through the, the puppet stuff. And I know that's something my dad noted was he thought that was very interesting how they were kind of able to retell the story of the first film to audiences that, you know, never saw the film 30 years ago. Yeah. And they were kind of able to, you were still able to come into this technically fourth film, I guess you could say, and not have seen the other ones. And they were, they did that through those like um, shadow puppets, which was very interesting. I agree with that. Yeah. So unfortunately, this movie is the shortest of the quadrilogy, clocking mm -hmm. in at 91 minutes. Now it's not short by very much, but I will say, I personally think this movie could have done with maybe even an extra 30 minutes to flesh out more story points. You know, I think it's an interesting idea bringing Anthony back. But by the time we learn that, it's very late in the movie. It's like the beginning of the third act when he meets with his mom. You know, he's becoming Candyman. I think I think it's too rushed which is a habit of all of these sequels. I think they rush a lot of these ideas that are very fascinating in the uh, previous films that we've watched. But this leads me to feeling that I think a lot of these ideas are half-baked. I think a lot of these ideas could have took in longer in the oven and really fleshed themselves out more because what we're ultimately left with, I'm just left kind of scratching my head with a number of these things, unfortunately. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. I think you're right. The runtime, while it is the shortest, not only by like a couple of minutes, I think, um, it is still only an hour and a half. Uh, that's, you know, rather short in terms of today's lengths, which are usually go two hours and beyond. Um, you're right. I think that there are, I don't think it bothered me too much, but you're right. I will agree with you that there are a number of elements here, uh, probably because of the length that don't feel like they are completely explored thoroughly. Uh, they're there and they're interesting, but I don't think that they necessarily go as deep as they could have gone with them had they given been given a, a longer runtime. So I, I'm with you. Uh, it didn't bother me as much, but I'm with you. I think that you know, the runtime or the way they explore some of these, these elements could have benefited from something like that. I am definitely with you there. Um, in terms of, I guess, well, I guess 
as for the manic elements for me, but in terms of characters, I I would definitely agree that uh, these characters here, they feel kind of, um, they're not very deep, I don't think. Uh, there's nothing that when I walk out of the theater um, that I can pinpoint that, you know, this defines a certain character, like the character of Brianna. I, there's nothing really special about her that I ever really pulled out of it when I walked out of the theater, I felt. In terms of how they define these characters and build these characters, I don't think really any of them, to me at least, felt very round, well-rounded or well-defined. Again, could be due to the length, you know, had they been given more time, this could have been a different story, but I feel in terms of characters that this is absolutely true, they feel kind of half-baked. Her character is the most head-scratching for me because she is given somewhat of a backstory. Her father was a tortured artist who, you know, I guess supposedly committed suicide in front of her by jumping out of a building, and she grew up pretty poor as well. But I, I can't find any other connection um, with her character in this movie. And I thought, oh, why are they bringing up this flashback? They got to be bringing it up for some kind of a reason. I guess she's a... Uh, can't escape from tortured artists in her life or something. I don't know. I was very disappointed her character is severely underdeveloped and is given very little point, except she gets to quote unquote tell everyone at the very end of the movie. Uh, I'm honestly just puzzled as to what's going on. Um, I mean, we get to see her and her brother and we really don't get anything else with her. I was very disappointed about that. I'm also very confused about the character of Burke, who seems perfectly normal in the beginning. And you come to find out he was the little boy that, you know, witnessed the police brutally murder um, Sherman. And then Burke at the very end is actually the crazy guy who wants there to be a new Candyman, who creates the new Candyman. He gets stabbed to death mm -hmm. by Brianna. I'm just so confused as to these character motivations and what's going on here once again. Maybe there's like some stuff on the cutting room floor that that we're missing some connective tissue. My guess is probably not. My guess is this movie is pretty much the final cut what we're seeing here, but it does get very muddled, unfortunately. Yeah, right. I mean, I can chalk up, you know, William Burke's uh, turn at the very end to just becoming kind of like the main our main character of Anthony becoming obsessed with the Legend of Candyman, maybe wanting some kind of. Uh, I guess, solace or peace, um, or I guess better way of putting it, revenge for what happened, for what he witnessed with Sherman. But you're right in terms of uh, how that makes sense into the whole story. I can see it, but it's, it's, there's a lot there left to be desired, I feel, uh, especially with oh, yeah. his character. I mean, we with the character of Anthony, like we've seen this before, right? And like pretty much every other Candyman movie, the main character becomes obsessed and wants to learn more about this legend of Candyman. And his story kind of re reflects Helen's to a to a certain degree, um, where they just both become obsessed with this idea, this legend, this story of Candyman uh, that you know they at least at some part in the movie, like with Helen, you begin to wonder. Is this, you know, her wanting to be Candyman or is this like Candyman actually working? You know, is she becoming Candyman or is it something else? Is it something that's actually supernatural? Um, in this story, it kind of goes down that route and then fully goes toward it at the very end when Anthony basically becomes Candyman. Um, it's interesting that this, that I think he's the most interesting character, but they're going down that same route again. Um, 
which is not necessarily a problem, but at the same time, with all these other characters that we have, like William Burke or Brianna, I wish that they played more into that. I, I guess I'm missing where these all these characters really all kind of fit together in this puzzle. Yeah, you're completely right. There is a lot left to be desired. As you said, that's a good way of putting it, especially there at the very end is I, I think my biggest thing is probably, well, no, I, I will say throughout the whole film, I think this movie does take some story beats from the first one where Helen Lyle, people think she's become so obsessed with Candyman that she is starting to imitate the murders. They're saying the same thing about Anthony through news clips. But once again, I'm I'm very confused because I guess when the police shoot him at the end, there's been like the manhunt for him. They believe it's him, that he's the murderer. And we get um, those girls murdered in the bathroom, which wasn't really incredible. And I'm sure it wasn't totally necessary. They do spend quite a bit of time on it. Um, but... You know, once again, I feel like those story beats should have been fleshed out more because I think that was a fascinating idea from the first film is that Helen is become so obsessed that what if she does the killing? This isn't Shutter Island. There's no psychological nuances to this whatsoever. And even with Anthony here, supposedly people thinking he's the killer. There's just really not much there to let us think, what if it really is him? Um, I really like those kind of movies. Like, what if it really, what if I really am the killer the whole time, but I think I've been the good guy? That's just not there, unfortunately. Um, but I would say my biggest issue with this movie comes at the very end, which the very end just feels very rushed. Hmm. And I have a lot of issues with it. But my main problem is this movie does not take a nuanced approach to to its political views, it just wears them on its sleeve, pretty much accepts them as truth, and just pushes them out there. Um, yeah, any movie that wears its viewpoints on its sleeve is just bad writing, I think. You need to have more nuance to it. You need to have more questioning stuff, not black and white characters that are like, oh yeah, all the cops are bad, all the white people make these bad choices, these racial politics are just far too simplified. It's very disappointing. Yeah, I, I think the best way to put it is it's a it's a one sided kind of movie where, like you like you just mentioned, oh, yeah. uh, the other side of it is not necessarily taken too much into account. Um, I mean, I'll say this. I'll say this. I I do agree to a point that this is you know a movie that is not necessarily one that um, well, it's one sided, right? The the arguments here that they have and what they go for um, don't feel like it's very well balanced. And again, that's kind of the, I think it's kind of what they were going for. You know, it's the, I think they're showing that this is a, the, what they're, what they're wanting to say is, you know, we believe, we believe that this is a, a big problem um, in oh, yeah. X, Y, and Z. Right. So I can see why they would go for a more, a more one-sided approach to this, but you are correct. This is definitely a one-sided kind of movie. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we get a lot of Hollywood movies that uh, I feel are just for made for escapism. Um, I, Marvel is a great example of this, where there really isn't a message per se. I mean, there's probably something there, and there are definitely themes that are there, but it's not like it's not like it's made to have. You know, this is the message of the whole movie. They're not, not like they're trying to make a whole statement, right? At least with this movie, they're making a statement. You know, we don't get that. You know, these are movies that 
people don't often go down and watch. So, I mean, there is that, but you are correct. It is a bit more of the one-sided approach, unfortunately, which is a little bit more complex, these issues, these racial issues that they're talking about are. I have noticed more and more lately episodes of TV shows or movies that are directly about an issue, they will put at the very end credits, like, go to this website to learn more about gay rights or learn more about racial injustice, something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you stayed till the end of the credits, but there is a website that yep. they touted to go to at the end. But yeah, I was... Um, I was talking about it with my dad afterwards, and I did actually also um, review the Amazon TV show Them, which is a very, very scary, definitely got under my skin look at um, racial politics of the 50s or 60s, I believe. That was a um, very interesting show, but I feel like that show had a little bit more to say than this one does. This one has, it, I don't, I'm honestly not even quite sure what it is supposed to say. I mean, I don't think this is probably going to help um, race relations any or make anybody l like the police anymore. I think that's honestly very troubling, actually, to have Candyman come out and just kind of slaughter all the police because there has been real incidents where people or police officers have just been gunned down and in mass, actually. I, I don't know. This is very troubling, honestly, a very troubling end for me. Also, I'm just very confused what this what they're trying to say here, because Candyman is not the savior of the black community. He's terrorized the black community. And Burke wants there to be a new Candyman. Burke is the one that calls the police. So are they trying to say that it's not just the police and white people that are the problem. It's also the black community that is perpetuating their own problems as well. Hence, Burke, the one calling the police and wanting to continue this, you know, war with the Candyman and a race war or something. I'm not, I'm, I have no idea what they're trying to say here at the end. It, it's really weird. I can see, uh, I think from what I'm seeing, where they're going is, uh, Candyman, like before, is a symbol of like like hatred, more or less, right? Um, from the very beginning, he was born out of a very racist act uh, that was done against him, where they sawed off his hand and they dipped him in uh, honey and they called him Candyman for falling in love and uh, impregnating one of the landowners' daughters, right? So that's the whole that's the story of Candyman. So it, it's this is. Definitely a movie that shows like that cycle of violence, right? Where things just are not really seemingly getting better as time goes on is what the movie is displaying here. So what I'm seeing is at the end of the story, Candyman ends up fighting back, right? The legend fights back to those who have wronged uh, those in the past, right? So Candyman being, you know, more of a symbol of, I guess, revenge, more of a symbol of justice like, in a certain way. Justice against those who have wronged, you know, black people in the, in the past, whether, you know, it be police or what have you. And this one, it's aimed at police, it feels like. Because it, also, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Corbin, but I don't think I, I think only white people die at the hand of Candyman. Is, is that am I correct in that? Am I remembering that correctly? Um, which is a little bit troubling. For for me at least, if that's if that's true, if I remember if I'm remembering remembering correctly, 
That is mostly true. Um, the only instance I can think of where black people died at the hands of Candyman in this movie. Now we know they did in previous movies, but as far as this movie goes, um, when Burke is a kid, there is another flashback where his sister and a friend call Candyman in the bathroom and they're supposedly slaughtered by him. He opens up the door and he sees their dead bodies oh, or, right. or at least yeah. a glimpse of it whatsoever. But yeah, that's that's another thing that is quite troubling. <laughs> so generalizations, you should never make generalizations in general. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I learned that when I was writing I'm just saying I learned that when I was um, writing college papers, just do it through my own writing is never make generalizations because they're usually never true. So to kind of have this generalization here at the end that, you know, the police are bad, all these police are crooked, and they really need to be dealt with. And that white people constantly throughout the movie, they're talking about how white people gentrify the city and white people are, are the ruination of this and that, which is very confusing because the black people in this film, you know, a lot of them are very affluent and well off. Um, I, I'm just saying it gets really muddled here at the very end. Um, yeah. And then Candy. So Candyman does save her. He is the Anthony one now. He saves her. And then she goes and we get to see Tony Todd at the end, which doesn't make any dang sense. And he looks at her and he says, tell everyone. So are, is Candyman the hero? Is he the villain? Is he an anti-hero? I am left with such mixed messages here at the end. It it just becomes far too muddled. I Maybe if they would have took a little more time to flesh it out, but they don't. I mean, they just hammer it home so fast here at the end. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, I'm curious, Alan, what did you uh, think of Tony Todd's uh, de-aged face just popping in there at the end? You know, I, I guess I didn't realize that that was him. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember when that, I'm trying to remember that scene. I I know that it happened. At the very end, um, she walks down the road to find supposedly Anthony Candyman is staring at a wall. He's like hovering. He turns around. The bees part away and it's Tony Todd's DH face. And he says, tell everyone. And then it shows her and then it cuts to just Candyman. And that's how the movie ends. It's very abrupt. Oh, yeah. It's very quick, too. It's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit weird, I guess. Uh, I, we at least get him back. And I, I, I'm OK with it being just a cameo, but at least we get him back. But it is a bit weird. Well, the lady in my theater behind me started clapping. So she was a pretty big fan waiting for this to happen, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you brought up the high school kids earlier. Um, and I was going to bring this up earlier. And then I, and we, got on a, we got on a different topic. But so the high school kids, when I was looking at the background, I, I guess I missed this when I was watching the movie. Because of, uh, there was a high school, if I remember right, there's a high school kid that was at the art exhibit um, that looked at Anthony Anthony's thing, didn't really do mm -hmm. much about it, and kind of walked away. And then the art critic comes up later and whatnot. Um, that's the same lady who decides to get her friends together and call Candyman in the uh, high school bathroom. Um, right. I don't really understand it. Uh, I, I guess I don't know why they are focusing on these high school kids. Um, and, the, and the critics kind of the same way. She all of a sudden has a change of heart to Anthony's work. At first, she couldn't care less about it. Um, 
And then later she calls him into her apartment to talk about it. And now she's all of a sudden suddenly interested. That, from what I read, because of what happened with the murders, then his exhibit becomes kind of popular. I I, I didn't get that at all. Um, I missed that completely in this movie. And looking at the plot summary, I was like, oh, I guess that kind of clears up a few things. Um, I guess that kind of goes to muddled storytelling in this movie where not everything kind of makes sense or it's just not explained correctly. Or, you know, I, I, with the high school kids, it just, I don't feel, I don't see where that's fitting into the story very well. Um, Weird storytelling in some places. Yeah, no, that is one of my frustrations because we do see this stuff happen, but Anthony only learns about it through the news and I really don't like that as a way of conveying information in a movie is just watching the news. And that is, like I said, very kind of confusing. The police don't just run in there at the end and shoot him just because they just want to shoot someone. They shoot him because Bert called them and said, hey, the guy on the news with a he's got a hook or something and he's coming after me and he screams and these his exhibit is where the art gallery guy clive which is definitely a reference to clive barker who wrote the short story Mm -hmm. clive and his girlfriend are slaughtered in front of his exhibit and then those girls are who who are connected somehow to the exhibit i guess they found out the girl went there that night or something with her mom um they're they're connected and so they're starting to believe that anthony is perpetuating all of this carnage um and he's the Candyman. It it is sloppy. It's really not connected or tied together very well. See, I really do like that they tied art back into it though, because art has always been a big part of the Candyman series, mm-hmm. and he's drawing these really kind of demented, um, you know, people and whatnot. These demented paintings. But once again, what what does that have to do with anything though? That he's an artist as well, and that he draws these really creepy things. I think there's a lot of great ideas here in this movie. They're either just not in, you know, incorporated properly, or one of the things that I think is unfortunate is the storytellers are too worried about making sure their political message is really kind of shoehorned in there, especially at the end and in different parts, that they forget to focus on, you know, I would say more important story elements is it's very disappointing. Um, I was shocked because I was really going with this movie, but as the movie went on, I was slowly just not into it. And I think, I think that's going to hit people, a lot of people that way. I think it's just going to be very alienating to a lot of people, mostly because of its, um, political message messages that are just not um not nuanced at all (laughs) right it's interesting because you know had this come out when it was originally going to come out um it definitely would have i guess not not that it doesn't you know still it's not that it's still not in the public interest because it definitely is but i feel like it would have been more fresh because of the whole george floyd thing that happened a year ago and it would have released in uh what was it june or july of 2020 it would have been it kind of would have, I guess, fit right in um, almost. It Had it come out uh, a year prior, you know, this definitely would have been more on po- the public's mind. Again, not that it, not that it isn't mm-hmm. still, but back, back about a year ago, it would have been, you know, that was a hot topic then. That was like the thing. 
around that time. Yeah, that's very true. It was definitely in the public eye at the time. Yeah, this isn't the first time I've seen, you know, a story portrayed like this. HBO's Lovecraft Country, Watchmen, Them is becoming very, very popular to portray, you know, black victimization, you know, demonizing the police in, you know, a lot of these stories. Definitely demonizing white people is very popular in movies now and just in culture, unfortunately. The thing that does deeply trouble me about a lot of this stuff is I don't see how it's going to make anything better. I don't see how it's going to, people are going to walk away and have any kind of good actionable things to do to make this world a better place. To me, it just, especially due to the carnage at the very end, it seems to leave us on the note that, um, you know, maybe carnage is just just how this country is just going to have to be it's just going to have to be death and destruction and there's really not a lot of hope so i i think it's a fairly nihilistic ending um wasn't honestly was not the movie i was expecting i walked out of this movie i'm like that was not what i was expecting in this movie and uh well i'll, I'll save my final thoughts here for the conclusion but if yeah well alan what is your rating and recommendation for Candyman? I want to see a director's cut of this movie um, because I think there's, there are ideas here um, that I, I get kind of the short end of the staff. I, I want to see you know them fleshed out some more because as we're seeing now, a lot of characters, eh, they, they aren't exactly the most well-defined. Uh, Anthony's the most of the characters that is, which makes sense because he's our main character. Um, but I kind of am left wanting more out of everybody. Um, the story is the same. I, there are things that I love. I love the flashback sequences with the paper, uh, paper shadows. I love the sense, the tone that this movie sets those opening credits pull me right in. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a movie that it kind of feels like it's like you mentioned Corbin, it kind of feels like it's a bit more half baked. Uh, unfortunately, I want I want more out of it. Uh, I want to see where they want where they were wanting to go. I want to see, I guess, the ideas here fleshed out some more. Whether or not I agree with it is a different story. I don't know. You know, like you mentioned, it is very one sided. We, we talked about it. it's a rather one sided story. Um, racial politics aside, it's a movie that I would love to see more of, but unfortunately, I just don't. I guess get enough of. Uh, and the bad way it's got some really cool interesting ideas it looks great um but at the same time it feels like not everything fits together yet and maybe if there was a longer version different story this would be so i'm gonna give it a five out of ten i'm gonna say it's a mild recommend for me a very very mild one i think there's enough here um i think there's enough here to go in and watch it um, but there is a lot of, you know, again, this message here is pretty one-sided. Uh, it is kind of muddy. Going in with that kind of thing, I think you could probably get something out of it. Candyman is a visually arresting film. Da Costa and DP John Guthlieren create a film that looks like a painting. Between art and slasher gore, there's a striking balance between the canvas and the body. Throughout the story, I was engrossed in the macabre Chicago city, with its equaling contrasting upscale and impoverished living. 
along with a phenomenal cast, particularly Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, and the great twist he's playing baby Anthony, all grown up and that somehow it's his destiny to be the next Candyman, drives home the brooding feeling of inevitability. Having the new concept of Candyman being more so a curse as passed down each generation is a great idea. Not having Tony Todd appear, whether by hook or crook, until the very end shocked me. But I really like it was a different guy. And when Brianna summons him at the end, it's now Anthony, or should I say an amalgamation of them all. Now, for all that praise, there's a lot wrong with this movie. For one, while I appreciate the originality, these ideas are half-baked at best. There's quite a bit of conflicting information concerning the multiple Candymans and the fact that there's a manhunt for Anthony towards the end. Something cribbed from the first movie, but far less showcased here. My biggest complaint is the politics aren't subtle. In fact, the filmmakers are clearly pushing their beliefs in our faces, not caring to examine the nuances of racial politics, but stating them as simple fact. This story's worldview alone, white people are bad, cops are villains, and black people are perpetually victims, will make 50% of the audience turn it off, and I fail to see how this is meant to help race relations in the US. Peel is a better writer than this. Just watch his two directed films, Get Out and Us. I'm thinking since he's only one third of the screenplay and not calling the shots, we are really missing out on what he may have made a into a great sequel. Unfortunately, this fourth installment offers me little to return to, and that's a shame. I'm giving Candyman four stars out of ten, with a solid not recommend. Well, I have yet to hear if there's going to be a... um sequel yet i'm guessing so far at least it's looking like uh, that might be the case uh given that it made pretty good money back on its opening weekend and it's only been out for a week uh yeah very well we could very well see a kenny man sequel in the near future depending on how they want to handle it we might that would be interesting Honestly, I don't know where they could go from here, though. I mm -hmm. feel like the franchise is pretty much exhausted at this point. And, you know, like I said, I appreciated the ideas they brought up here. I'm very troubled and disappointed by some of the other ideas they brought up. Uh, the, the other thing I want to mention, too, is that I, I don't really appreciate uh, actually the fact that because Candyman, the first Candyman, really was born out of like when racism was very real in the U.S. And same maybe with Sherman as well in 1977, where the Civil Rights Act had just been passed, you know, it had been about 10-ish years earlier. But today, I, I, I'm not sure I'm um, very keen on them trying to equivalize all of those things and trying to say that really nothing has changed and trying to portray this, you know, brutality is still going on because Burke even says that Burke says it's still happening or something. Mm -hmm. And, and he's actually the cause of it happening. He's the one that calls the police and instigates the whole thing. And there is something to be said how white people sawed off Candyman's hand in the first one. And now it's a black guy sawing off another black guy's hand. Um, once again, interesting ideas. They just decide just to fly by them and not go into them, unfortunately. But right. you're right. There is a possibility that we could be returning to this because it's done so well. My guess is we won't. My guess is I doubt we're ever going to see a Candyman 5. That's, that's just my guess, though. So looking at our average scores for the entire franchise, I have an average score of 5 out of 10, and you have an average score of 4 out of 10. 
And interestingly enough, you have, this is very confusing, but you have still recommended more of these films than I have. That's true. Uh, I think overall, this is an, it's, it's hard to pinpoint this uh, retrospective because you have two kind of bad eggs there in the middle um, that get kind of weird. And this one's controversial, <laughs> um, even from an audience's mm -hmm, standpoint. Sure. Uh, those two are not great. I think overall, I don't know if I can recommend the whole thing. I don't know if there's necessarily enough there. It's an overall package. Yeah. To elicit a watch of them all. Yeah, I'm, yeah, with my five out of 10, that's still for me a mild not recommend of the series. I only recommended the first film. Um, the second one was a, was a very mild not recommend, but the final two sequels, um, are in the red for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas with you, it's, um, mild. You, you gave, you barely squeaked the first one over. Right. The middle two are a big no go for you. And then the final one, you're kind of like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. So uh, it's, it doesn't, it's not a very resounding, uh, positive for, for either of us. And I mean, that's, that's just the story across the board with, um, all the scores. Average letterbox 2.9, average IMDb 5.6, um, Average Rotten Tomatoes, 49% critics and 48% audience. And technically an average meta score for the first and sec uh, last film of 67. So it, it they're bad to just straight up split. I mean, yeah, no, this, this series has been kind of a yep. bit of a rotten egg for us. I am curious as to your rankings, though. So in terms of rankings, it's going to go definitely the first one, then the new one. Came in twenty twenty one, then the second one, then the third one. That's how it's gonna. That's how it's gonna stack up for me. So mine is going to be almost identical to yours. I'm just um, switching the second and fourth one. So for me, it's the first one all the way. I mean, honestly, I think just stick with that one and just forget about the rest. But for me, it's going to be the second one. I actually had a much better time. Um, and like the idea is better in the second one than here, then it's going to be the fourth one. And then the third one for me, there's uh, the third one. Well, not pure trash. It was, uh, it was okay. It had some semi redeeming stuff to it, I guess. But yeah, but no, this new one is, is better than the third one. I'll say, well, is this one that you would maybe buy on Blu-ray if you saw it? Would you purchase Candyman 2021 on Blu-ray? I am going to have to pass on this one. Okay. I will not be adding it to my collection. Gotcha. I think I might pick it up. I probably wouldn't pay a whole lot for it personally. Um, but I think that there's enough in this movie for me to say I, I'll, I'll pick it up. Well, now that we've talked about the last, so far at least, last Candyman, uh, what would you recommend other listeners watch after this, I'm going to recommend Get Out, Halloween 2018, and Rosemary's Baby. I'm going to recommend uh, Gretel and Hansel. It's a relatively recent take on Hansel and Gretel story. Came out a couple, I think 2019, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I put it on the other night. My, my wife said, uh, no, I'm not watching it. So my wife made me shut it off. <laughs> it's real short. It's like an hour and 20 minutes or something. If I remember right, it's pretty, it's short. Interesting horror movie. Uh, I kind of liked it. 
from what I remember of it. Um, but it's got a pretty low IMDb score, so I guess it's not everybody's cup of tea here. My next recommendation is going to be The Babadook. I got some oh, vibes of one. The Babadook here as well, partially with like mm-hmm. the, the pop-up book that they have in, this, in that movie. Um, also, interesting horror film by uh, Jennifer Kent, I believe is her name. She also released a relatively recent movie in 2017 or 2018 called The Nightingale, which is pretty good as well. That one's a lot. Um, but those are my two recommendations. All right, listeners. Well, the question after the show is, what would have been your art exhibit if you were in Anthony's shoes? Well, Corbin, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. And listeners definitely want to come back next week because we're going to be hopping into, or we're going to be jumping back in to our Denis Villeneuve retrospective, continuing on this time, starting with Enemy. You definitely don't want to miss that because we'll be leading from that into Dune. Uh, so I'm... I know, Corbin, I know you're very excited for Dune, and um, the hype yep. is building for me. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get pushed back. That's all I can hope for. Anyways, listeners, we'll see you next week with Enemy. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Okay, this is Corbin and Allen with the mainline podcast of Candyman 2021. It is 6.54 p.m. September the 2nd, and I'm ready to go to bed, and I don't want to go to work tomorrow, (laughs) but I I have to. I think you need a personal day. Yeah. I really should take, I have a lot of off days. I need to take some, I need need to take a week off at some point. Uh, Yeah. But I do have Monday off, which will be nice. A local man named Sherman was beaten by cops who thought he was responsible for putting razor blades in candy. However, Sherman ended up being very 
However, Sherman ended up being being in it. Eh, I keep wanting to say very innocent, but that doesn't make any sense. 